What should we talk about? This is a very good question. Mm -hmm. Do you have an answer? A suggestion? Let me pull a tarot card. Oof. Uh-oh. <laughs> you just pulled it now in this moment? I just pulled it now. What'd you get? Uh, the alchemist. The alchemist? What does that mean? Um, shall I read? Please. The Alchemist, page 88. This is from Threads of Fate. The Alchemist card indicates a time of metamorphosis. It is a call to view everything in your current life as an opportunity for growth. Right now is a potent time to plant the seeds of what you want to invite in. It is also a reminder that our thoughts are incredibly powerful. We may not feel like we have a lot of control over our lives, but we can work hard at changing our thought patterns to ones that empower us. Whatever they are given, the alchemist is able to transmute. They may have a handful of bad quote unquote ingredients, but they are able to make magic with what they have. It can be a long process, but they hold a vision for the final product while continuing to show up in their negative situation and slowly work at transmuting it. Someone who is in the shadow of alchemist may not believe in themselves. They may have both a fear of failure and a fear of success, keep, keeping them paralyzed in their current situation. They can also minimize situations and keep their true feelings inside, as opposed to getting them out and moving on. A key to being an alchemist is naming what is happening so you can work with it. Oh, that's good. What is happening? Well... Um, I think for me, what's happening, I'm, I'm, and maybe what I see as a potential happening on this podcast, uh, is that there's a lot of stuff going on for me, um, internally and externally, that I don't necessarily want to talk about today. <laughs> and I know that you just embarked on uh, a major event, I, I, I don't know how you would want to term it, that you also shared with me that you don't want to talk about. Mm. So, um, so I guess I just, you know, want to name that I, I came in today just feeling a little like, what are we going to talk about? <laughs> You've gotten really good at teasing the audience. It's <laughs> all this stuff here that we're not going to talk about that, of course, we're going to talk about. What? No. <laughs> And now they're left waiting and wondering and suspense. Well, we, we will. We will talk about Good job. it. Maybe not on this podcast, though, on this particular one. You're not going to talk about anything that's going on? Maybe not in the way that you might, that we did last time. Well, do you think that maybe we should have had a conversation before the podcast to talk about what you're not going to talk about so that I don't bring up the things you don't want to talk about? I thought I did. Did you? Yeah. Do you expect me to adhere to that? <laughs> Do you expect me to? We have an audience to entertain, Angela. There are millions of topics that we can talk about. Okay. <laughs> Fine. I just, I, I'm just, I'm feeling disappointed. I'm sure the audience is right now. Really? Are you feeling disappointed? Yeah. Oh, of course. Because you thought that we were going to talk about 
what was going on for me. Yeah. But we talked about that last time, and I shared in detail about yeah. what was going on for me. And uh, we chose not to publish that well, podcast. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, I chose not to publish it. You went along exactly. with it, but you didn't seem to have a problem with it being published necessarily. No, I mean, I was taking a risk in that moment to just tell the truth of the situation of, of where I was at in the moment. And I was feeling a lot of things. And so then I, you know, I, I just, I said everything and I, and I did say everything. You said everything. Yeah. And, uh, People will never hear it. <laughs> well, then after you said that you weren't going to publish it, I thought about it and I thought, you know, I, I don't think I'm ready for everyone to know just yet. Um, yeah, I want, I want to take my time and it's, it's, a. Uh, it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a risk, you know, to, to not mm -hmm. say it. And it's a risk to say it, but like, it feels to me like the bigger risk right now is just to not. That's and an amazing rationalization. Good job. <laughs> um, well, you're, you're doing a good job of trying to persuade me. <laughs> of course. Of course. That's my job. Uh -huh. And I'm very effective at it. Well, okay, I understand. I respect that. There's a lot. There's well, there's. Let's say this. There's a there's a metamorphosis happening in your life. There's big changes that are happening, and you're mm -hmm. not ready to reveal what they are. Mm -hmm. That's fair. Publicly. Publicly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, what are we going to talk about then? Well, I'm totally fine to talk about the vision quest. Are you? Yeah. Yeah, I've been talking about it. Well, I know you've been talking about it, but it felt to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, mm -hmm. when you said, when you told me that you didn't want to talk about this on the podcast, mm -hmm. that you were honoring something inside yes. yourself and about the experience. Mm -hmm. and, and so how has that changed? Well, I've had time to sit with it. And I think it was good for me not to talk about it for a period of time as I was still making sense of it. Now I'll continue to make sense of it, but I think there's things I can, I can say hmm. about it. I mean, I think it's interesting, the whole experience of a vision quest and what it is and what it entails and why I chose to do it. I mean, those are all things that I can talk about. Maybe there's some things that happen out there or, revelations that I had or, or visions that I had that I may or may not want to share, but there's nothing that feels like I'll be dissipating the power of it. If I, if I share, maybe, maybe there's, there's one or two things, but I, I won't, I won't share them. I won't share anything that doesn't feel good for me, mm. but with the time past it feels okay. It was a week ago. Is that when it was, my vision quest? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you left not last Wednesday, the Wednesday before then. Right. So I was just coming out of it um, last week, Sunday. I don't know. Ask me some questions. Um, what were you going to the vision quest for? Maybe to, maybe we should start with what is a vision quest, for, just in case right. people don't know. A vision quest is a 
one of the seven Lakota ceremonies. And I guess it's an initiation, part of an initiation process. It's four days, four nights alone in nature in a confined area, a very small confined area, without food or water, no food or water. And it starts with a sweat lodge, and then you're led out to your spot, and uh, they leave you there for four days and four nights. They come visit you every day just to check on you. You have nothing. Well, I had nothing but a blanket. It was a, had a tarp on the ground, a blanket, a sleeping bag, my drum, some warm clothes in case it got cold at night, though it didn't really, and a very small uh, camping pillow. That was it. So the idea is you, you don't want to be that comfortable. You, you really want to uh, maximize the discomfort or, you know, as much as you can take. And it was, it was quite a bit of discomfort. Uh, a blanket is not much to sleep on. I mean, I had a thick blanket, but I sleep on my side. So, you know, my hip was digging into the ground. It was very hard to get comfortable and you have to tolerate that you have to there's no relief there's nowhere to go there's nothing to do I mean there are things to do I I sang songs that's how I got through it I sang the vision quest song to uh it's about it's it's a, a song in four rounds and I sang it to the seven directions so I would sing to the west and then I would sing to the north to the east to the south, to the sky, to the earth, and then to myself, mm. to my heart. And I had a uh, corn husk uh, tobacco roll. That's what you pray with. And if you don't have a pipe, traditionally you'd pray with a pipe, a chinupa. But because I'm not a pipe carrier, you, you pray with this uh, rolled corn husk tobacco and a rolled uh, corn husk and uh, you hold that and you're you're out there to pray that's what you're there to do is to pray for yourself you're praying for yourself mm-hmm. and I would sing I would sing that song uh, to the seven directions that would take me about half an hour and then I would rest and then I would stand up and then I'd do another half hour round and mm-hmm. that's how I prayed and got through it I sang some other songs I had my drum and I lay down a lot and closed my eyes and would get very quickly into a state of lucid dreaming, but different. Something was very different about it. Than the ones you've done before. Well, just then, then the normal lucid dreams you might have if you lie oh. down on the couch and taking a nap or just before you fall asleep or just when you wake up, you know, that, that dream state. Something was a little bit different, more like the kind of visions you get in an ayahuasca ceremony. Mm-hmm. So it was very in some sense, psychedelic, right from the get-go. It was a full moon mm. the night that we went up. And to the west, you, I had my staff. And uh, on my staff were the seven prayer flags, uh, an eagle feather. And right behind where the staff was in the west, there was a, uh, it was sort of in a forest area, and there was these trees and branches that created what looked like a gate to me. Mm. And above the gate was all of these branches and vines that created this lattice. And it looked very ornate and uh, 
gothic in some way. And, you know, the first night when the full moon came up in the east and was shining the light right on this gate, so powerful. And I could just feel, uh uh-oh, spirits are coming in through that gate. And they did. It showed the first thing that I saw was uh, I looked, I lay down, I looked uh, to the west, and uh, it all dissolved into a fractal pattern. Not like fractal patterns in an ayahuasca vision. They weren't colorful. They were kind of green. Um, but it was this fractal pattern of, mm. uh, it felt like felt like God. It felt like this intelligent being like you see in the matrix mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the invitation was to come on in just come on in <laughs> <laughs> come on in to this uh whatever this is the spirit realm mm-hmm. and everything you want everything you desire it's all in there all you have to do is surrender to it and it's beyond your conscious mind it's beyond your rational mind and it was laughing at all my worries and concerns and fears about whatever's going on in my life. And, and I could feel the power and strength of that. And that's, that's really why I, I went on the vision quest to, uh, to deepen my connection with spirit, with mm-hmm. God, and to, uh, further my, uh, uh, journey on the the red road which is the spiritual path of the lakota the red road just to to deepen that connection to deepen my commitment to it and uh, it was beautiful it was hard i suffered you're suffering you're not comfortable there's no relief and four days without food not that big a deal you're hungry hmm. but the four days without water is a thing on the second day, I started to feel thirsty, and you get this metallic taste in your mouth. Mm-hmm. It's not pleasant. And on the third day, they visit and give you a uh, half a cup of hibiscus tea mm. that seemed to me sweetened. And that was a relief. That tasted great. And I thought, were oh, you okay. Were expecting that? Uh, yeah, I was expect. I didn't know if they were going to do it. Nothing was said, but I know traditionally... Uh, you know, with Yoshi, it's a half a cup of mint tea, although he never offered it to me on the last vision quest. He said he came and he said, Oh, you were, you were praying. I didn't want to disturb you. I'm like, Oh really? <laughs> really? You could have disturbed me, Yoshi. Um, so you get a little relief. That was the only moment of relief. Just swallowing that tea. And I thought, Oh, that's it. That's all I need. But no, an hour later I was back to feeling incredibly parched and yeah on the fourth third fourth day it, it your body doesn't like it mm. that body doesn't like that long without water and so you have to deal with a little bit of the anxiety and panic mm-hmm. that right. starts to set in you 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 know it's a little yeah panic and so you have to relax into that and and all of it is part of the process all of it is 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 part of learning to surrender to give over uh it it dissolves your ego and there's really nothing left except you and spirit 
that's how it feels to me. And that's what I think it's for. The purpose of it is to really force you to, not force you, but to give you the opportunity to come in a deeper contact with, uh, with spirit, you know, you go beyond your ego, beyond this, the Maya, the world that we live in and to feel something greater and deeper. And that's exactly what it did for me. And mm -hmm. I came down, I felt great, felt strong, felt lighter, felt open, felt powerful, connected, mm -hmm. and spent the next week really trying to maintain that connection. And, you know, it wanes obviously over time, but I, I have the memory, the imprint of it still. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's lasting. It's, it's mm -hmm. lasting. And I feel like it's a place I can go back to, particularly mm -hmm. through the songs. Mm -hmm. And I had a, a lesson with Yoshi yesterday. I learned six new songs. He taught me six new songs and beautiful, some beautiful songs. And, uh, just sitting with him for two and a half hours on zoom and, really appreciated his wisdom and the depth of his commitment. And as I go deeper, I, I feel a, a, a deeper appreciation of him. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel our connection grow deeper as I understand more and more. And it just left me with wanting to go further, wanting to go deeper into these ways and deepen my connection with, with spirit, with God. That's, that's all I want to do in some sense. I mean, obviously I have ambition in the world and, but I can feel that the path is, is through spirit. The, the deeper I connect to spirit, the more aligned I'm going to be with my purpose here in life, the less my, uh, my ego, my, uh, my own uh, desires, selfishness will get in the way. And so it's nice to have a community and a a methodology essentially that can keep me connected to that mm -hmm. you know got back on sunday night had sweat lodge wednesday you know back back praying you know another be another sweat lodge this wednesday back praying learning the songs i'm back praying so it's just constantly in my prayer and that's that's what it was about for me mm. more than more than anything else. I mean there were there were uh, visions that I I received that I yeah, I, I don't uh necessarily want to share but but connected to everything that I'm saying. Well, can you just say <clears throat> not not saying what the vision is, but um what is a vision? Well, I guess it's it's almost a dream. It's a visual, something visual in your mind. Mm -hmm. But it's not just like you're not just it's not just <clears throat> fractal patterns and. No, I had a very. I was having when I'd close my eyes almost every time. It wasn't like I was just closing my eyes and going to sleep. It was like I would close my eyes whether it was day or night, and I would be right in this dream space, and had all kinds of visions, some which felt meaningful, some which just felt like my unconscious unwinding, mm. just sort of the, mm -hmm. the videotape just 
you know, working moving out your through. Psyche yeah, working out uh-huh. exactly. Clearing, maybe cleaning, um, and then, like the last vision quest, then something comes, and it feels significant. It feels important, and it stays with you. And you're not, you know, at the moment you're like, is this my vision? You're just, you know, because there's a lot of visions coming through, but there's something about this one that I received that felt like, okay, this is, Mm. this is what it is. And Mm -hmm. I didn't try to place too much meaning on it. You know, I didn't, I didn't want to define it, but it had, it was a visual, something that was very powerful, uh, visual representation of something that I, I may take literally, but also symbolically, metaphorically mm-hmm. of what it, what that represented to me. And it, it mm. the words, I also got a very powerful message, like words like, about what that meant. Oh, like they gave you a definition or they... Mm-hmm. Something popped into my head about like what that vision was. It was just, mm-hmm. and, and that felt... I knew almost immediately, okay, this is it. This is what I came here for. This mm. is this is what it wants to show me. How did you know that? I just feel it. Feels like the most powerful thing. You know, you have an experience in four days and what's what's the thing that stands out from that experience? What's the thing you remember the most? Mm. Mm-hmm. Right? It's like if you're interpreting a dream, there's mm-hmm. usually a lot of things that happen, but there's usually a couple of things that stand out couple of images or interactions or people and, and those are the things to focus on so it was mm-hmm. like that and and there were the, there were other visions but that's that's really the one that I remember and that is etched in my mind like that I'll never forget and, and mm-hmm. is the vision that you received like is it does it is it in any way uncomfortable is it is there um like, does it scare you? Does it excite you? Does like, how do you feel holding this vision or? No, this vision felt great. Mm. It felt, I mean, it, 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 it felt like it came with responsibility mm-hmm. and would require of me focus and discipline. But that's also a relief focusing because. on one thing. Mm. just have to focus on one thing. And now that, that thing can be made manifest in infinite ways. So I don't know exactly how that will be made manifest, but, but the underlying uh, impulse or purpose is very, very clear to me. And so mm. if I can hold that intention in my mind and the visual representation of it, everything becomes easier somehow because I know what's holding everything that I'm wanting to do. Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. It was powerful. I mean, the vision I had at the last vision quest uh, was not comfortable. Uh, At least one of the, I had sort of two visions. Well, one was information that I was given about myself that, again, I, that's something that I, I, I keep private. But the other vision I've had, and I, I think I talked about it 
um, before. I've talked about it many times. It was just a vision of the red road. What is the red road? And that vision quest for me was my first initiation. And I put that vision quest off a year because I, uh, I was planning on doing it the year before, but I went to Sundance in South Dakota, uh, Crow Dogs Paradise, which is, was one of the most profound experiences of my life, just to go and witness and support. I was there for, for five days, and then we went to a couple other Sundances uh, on Pine Ridge. So I, I got like 10 full days of the Sundance experience. But the one in, uh, in Rosebud Paradise, they call it Crow Dogs Paradise, that's, that's the big one. That's the, that's 200, 300 dancers. It's a huge arbor. There's on Sunday, there's thousands of people there supporting and it's a whole incredible spectacle. And it, it just blew my mind Mm. what was happening and it humbled me. And because I'd been singing the songs with Yoshi and feeling pretty good about it and enjoying everything that was happening with the study of the music and going to the sweat lodges once a month. But when I saw that Sundance, I was like, holy shit, this, <laughs> this is, this is deep. It freaked me out. Mm-hmm. It freaked me out. And also everything that's there. I mean, I was 10 days on Indian reservations, mm-hmm. which is a, an experience to have. I mean, these are uh, places of extreme poverty mm. and you come face to face with the trauma that the Native Americans have suffered and continue to suffer and the pain and the despair and the addiction and the sorrow and the grief and also the beauty and the spirit of their way. And it, it, it was a lot. And I wasn't sure that I could hold all of that. I I wasn't sure if I should walk down that path. I didn't know if I could take all of that on in a way that felt good to me. Mm. Like, you know, because my ego gets involved. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm learning Lakota songs. I like to sing Lakota songs. And there's there's something fun about that. But this was like, took it to a whole other level. Like how, you know, you're playing around essentially, which is fine. But how deep do you want to go? And and it showed me how deep, or at least gave me some indication of how deep it, it could go. And uh, so I was scheduled to go on a vision quest, I think, about two months later and I, I backed out. I told Yoshi, I can't. And he was upset. Mm -hmm. But once I explained it to him, I think he understood. I said, I, I, I'm not clear Mm. that I can take this on. I I, I can't go up there. I'm not, I'm not a yes yet to this whole thing. And so it took a year. And then, and then when I finally did go, which was about two years ago, the vision I got was it showed me like at least to some degree, like this is what it is. This is what the red road is. This is what you're going to have to 
come to terms with. And, you know, as I said before, it's the, this concept, at least how I interpreted it, uh, that there is no separation between the light and the dark, that nature has no judgments, no preferences, and that God is not concerned about your suffering. But the moment you accept that, you're free. That was the, the statement that I received and, and came with a very powerful visual image of this tunnel, a dark, dark tunnel that was on a razor's edge. And if I wanted to walk down that tunnel, walk into that tunnel, I was going to have to walk that razor's edge. And most certainly there were going to be times where I was cut mm. and it would hurt and mm. I would suffer. And I was like, okay, <laughs> maybe, I don't know. Uh, thank you for that. Um, let me, let me think about it. Let me consider that sounds pretty hardcore. <laughs> And then you know, I continued my study of the songs with Yoshi and continued to uh, fire keep with him and, and did that in a good way. And, and then when I came out here to Austin and found this community and uh, right away, you know, oh, there's a vision quest coming up. And I just felt, I felt a yes inside me and I finally let uh, Eric know that I wanted to do it. I, I I just felt like I was ready to go deeper, ready to make a, more of a commitment, not to the Red Road, but also to this new community that I was being invited into and and also being given a lot of space and uh, responsibility, really, in this community because uh, of all the songs that I know. They don't know that many songs, so they were uh, wanting me to... Uh, sing them and to teach them the songs. And there was something about, I, I don't know if it's okay for me to teach these songs, but they were enthusiastic. They were like, no, 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 we, we want to learn and checked with Yoshi. And, you know, at first he was, you know, Yoshi's always a no before he's a yes, but we eventually got to yes. And uh, now he's, he's excited, you know, he's okay. Mm -hmm. Teach him this. And then maybe this song, don't teach him that song, you know, it's not, you know, <laughs> So he's involved he's like and, I and I think feeling, yeah, and, and feeling proud. I think he's feeling, mm. he's feeling proud. So, you know, with that, that, uh, responsibility and that, uh, just showing up in the community in that way, I felt I had to, to show them that I was committed and, and the way to do that would be to vision quest with them. Mm. Oh, I see. Uh-huh. To, to, yeah, to prove my commitment. And, but, you know, not just that. I mean, it would have been fine if I didn't, but I, 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 I wanted to do it really for me. You know, I wanted to, I wanted to deepen my commitment and I wanted to know more. There's information in there. You, you have these experiences that are very unique, they're very powerful, and they show you things. And there's information in there. And there's only one way to get that information you can't read it in a book you can't receive it through a, a meditation you have to go out this is a, a unique kind of experience this vision quest four days four nights no food or water totally isolated and you get a, a specific kind of 
experience and you get knowledge from it, knowledge of spirit, knowledge of, and also knowledge of yourself. Mm. So it's powerful and it surprises me. I mean, I'm just doing this one step at a time. There's no, no plan that I have. I just keep saying yes when it feels right and keep wanting to move forward. But if you had asked me four or five years ago when I started this, you know, if I'd be this into it, this, this deep into it and, and wanting more, uh, I, I would, I don't, I would have been surprised. Mm-hmm. It's, it's taken, taken me over in some way. And, uh, but I like it. It's powerful. It, I, um, I want to go back for a minute just because and I don't know if this is okay to share, but um, because you had told me that, you know, you really, there's something about teaching the songs that you really enjoy and you love singing the songs. You know, there's something that you really get from that and it feels amazing and that, that you would ask Spirit, I think you would ask Spirit, mm-hmm. if it, like if you were if you were doing right by these songs. and. Mm-hmm. And if, and if, you know, you had permission to sing these songs Mm -hmm. and that, uh, and that you had gotten the yes from, from spirit saying Mm -hmm. it's, it's totally, you're, you're doing great, but now you have to pay your respects or Uh some, yeah, something that you have to give. Mm -hmm. And now it's time for vision quest. Is Mm -hmm. that, is that true? Yeah, well, I sang four songs at Tony's ayahuasca ceremony. And oh, that's right. Yeah, it was at that. So yeah. I'd, I'd sang before in ceremonies. I'd, I always asked uh, Yoshi permission, and, and obviously I've sang with him uh, in in ceremony many, many times. And uh, But this was the first time that I, I made the call on my own. I didn't ask for permission and, and it, that felt right to me. I didn't feel like I needed to. And, and, you know, I knew that I was showing up in a good way. And, but afterwards I just, I just did want to check, <laughs> you know, spirit, like, was that okay? Cause I want to be in integrity. These songs are sacred and I want to carry them in a good way. And, and yeah, that was the message I got. Oh, absolutely. Like that, that they're loving that I'm singing these songs and that I'm wanting to learn these songs and I'm sharing these songs, but also that I have to keep, keep showing up, keep, keep deepening my relationship to, to spirit, to the red road. And, and, and that will deepen my relationship to the song so that they'll come through me in uh, a deeper way. Mm. And then I'll be singing, you know, from spirit mm. and, uh, you know, and, and, You'll be singing from spirit. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's one of the things that happened, you know, the first lodge that I sang in here. I, uh, as soon as I was finished singing my songs, my mind was immediately like, how was that? Was that good? Was that good? Did I sing good? I don't know. Maybe that song I was kind of off there. Da, 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 I missed that note or something, you know. And 
I just like stopped. Like you can't judge. Like that's that's a mm. sin. Mm. In this in this sacred lodge, for your ego to be coming in and a, making an evaluation of whether you sang your singing was good <laughs> or bad, no. You just sing from your heart. You do the best you can, and that's it. And then you leave it. Mm. So I'm learning. I'm learning. It's humbling me, and I <laughs> I need to be humbled. Mm. I mean, we all do, but it's good for me to be humble. It's good for me to pray to, and to, to be connected to a lineage mm. and a community and to always be learning. And by definition, I'm an outsider. I'm a white man. Mm-hmm. And so that always puts me in a position of humility. Just the fact that I have permission Mm -hmm. to sing these songs, that I have permission to embark on a vision quest. I have permission to attend a sweat lodge and to be part of that community to me feels like a privilege. Mm -hmm. So that was the other thing that I got from the experience, just like deep, deep gratitude of just being able to experience this, that, that, that I'm welcomed in and, and I, I don't, you know, I know there's controversy within the native American community about that, about, well, about how much they want to let white people in, mm-hmm. but pretty much the ship has sailed you know, Crow Dog opened up his Sundance. He was the first one to open his Sundance up to white people, to non-natives, not just white people. And it was controversial, but he was the most powerful medicine man in the land. So nobody was going to really challenge him. He had that power to make that decision, and he did. And according to... (laughs) Well, apparently he was not a fan of white people, as of course you can imagine. Mm. Many natives are not. I mean, many are, but you know, he, you know, they have their issues with white people, understandably. But nevertheless, he, he, he invited them in. And, you know, there's some, some controversy and and there's still controversy within the, the community. Why do you think he did that? I don't know. I don't know why he did it. I mean, I could speculate, but you know, I, 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 I don't know. I mean, you know, I can, I can only say what I imagine the thinking is, which is the best way to preserve our culture and our customs and traditions is to share them mm. with his, you know, with many people as possible. And of course, when you do that, you always risk risking the, the dilution of it mm-hmm. or people taking it and, and doing it in ways that are not sacred, or, you know, or appropriating. That's always a risk. And that's a hundred percent. That's going to happen. And that has happened and that will continue to happen. But I guess they just make a, you know, a cost benefit analysis like that. It, it, it's still, it's still for good. Hmm. 
because holding on to the culture uh, and protecting it, preserving it keeps it small. Mm. It keeps it, uh, and I understand the impulse to do that because, you know, uh, white people took everything away from them. Mm. And all they have is their customs and their traditions and their songs and their language. And, you know, inviting white people into that is, you can imagine that there'd be some hesitation and resentment about it. But I think Crow Dog, I, I, well, I don't know. I don't want to speculate, but I'm assuming he made, you know, some kind of decision that ultimately that is the, the best way forward. Mm. And, I think he's he's right. I mean, I I've prayed on that a lot. Obviously, on just just you know, is it okay? Is this okay? Is this mm-hmm. okay? And uh, and I always get yeah, absolutely. Like spirits, spirit is excited. Well, you keep getting invited. To mm-hmm. Yes, I do. And you're excited Mm -hmm. about it. Yeah. It speaks to me. I don't know why. I don't know why the the traditions and the music and the customs speak to me. Why it lights something up inside me. Why it makes me want to dedicate my life to it. I don't know why. But it doesn't feel like ego. I mean, maybe, you know, I'm talking about it here in the podcast and, is that my ego? Do I want people to know about this aspect of me? I mean, it's it's tricky. Why? Why do you say? Well, that? just I think I think it's easy to um, to yeah to appropriate the culture and and as a as a way to signal your uh, something about yourself that I'm I'm spiritual or I'm I'm down with the Native Americans like there's a you know, you can use it for status. Mm, right. And people do. And maybe I have. I'm sure that I have. But I'm trying my best to not do that. And to and the more the deeper I, I go into it, the more the less inclined I feel to do that. Well, that makes sense because what you're doing is um I mean Like you said, Vision Quest is it's suffering. Yeah, (laughs) you know, not everyone's going to choose to do that and keep doing it. And you know, from what you've told me at Sundance, like if you were to dance at Sundance, that's that's a lot of hard. (laughs) uh, I, I mean, painful work. I think. Yeah. And and Sundance, for those who don't know, it's 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 another Lakota Native American ceremony that is uh, four days without food or water, dancing uh, in an arbor around uh, the tree, the sacred tree, and uh, with you know there's drum groups playing music, but you're out there dancing. And a certain kind of style of dancing. And there's a, there's a, uh, you know, they're in line. There's all kinds of customs and it's not just you're out there freeform dancing. There's a whole uh, structure to it. 
but yeah, four days out there in the hot sun, basically from sun up to sundown. Not not quite. They end a little early, but uh, you know, most of the day, eight rounds a day, you're out there dancing, and yet it's yeah, it looks so it's intense. It must be intense. I, I mean, I don't know how people get through it. And then there's a you know you get uh, pierced at a certain point. You get pierced. You get the men, everybody, if you participate in a sun dance, at a certain point you have to make a flesh offering to the tree. The tree is, you know, in the center and it's covered in prayer ties and that's the the sacred object of the uh, of the dance representing spirit, I guess, nature. And uh at a certain point, yeah, you they, they pierce the men in the chest and the women in the shoulders, and you uh, those piercings are then uh, attached to a rope that is attached to the tree, and then you will dance that round attached to the tree through your piercings, and then at the end of the round, you pull off, and the <laughs> piercings rip your flesh open and uh, and that's your flesh offering Mm. and that's pretty intense I mean the the piercing rounds are just they're unbelievable there's a there's a horse out there (laughs) you know it's just it's and you can also get pierced in the back the other way to do it is you'll get pierced in the back and then they'll attach a train of buffalo skulls to the ropes that are coming out, you know, attached to your piercing. And then you run around the circumference of the oh interior God. of the arbor, pulling these buffalo skulls until oh your piercings rip out. Oh and if you do, God. if you do a lap and they don't rip out, they add a couple more buffalo skulls <laughs> until... <laughs> Until it rips out. And yeah, it's it's madness. I mean, you, you can't believe it. And it's also just it's, the music is so beautiful and the drum beat, it, it takes you into a, a deep, deep trance state. Mm. I mean, just mm-hmm. for everybody. Right. And, uh, but the colors, like everybody's, you know, just the tree is covered in all of these prayer ties and just it's Mm. beautiful because all the prayer ties are different colors you know red green yellow black white purple green and and everybody's you know you get your outfit for sundance you know so the men are in skirts basically and they're usually some are very simple but some are very decorative and the women wear you know sort of dresses with their shoulders covered just below the knee and they're you know they're all made just for Sundance and uh, and you know you have sage around tied around your head with you know red ribbon through and around your wrists and around your ankles so the whole it's just it's beautiful like everybody's Mm -hmm. outfits and costumes are just incredible and so the whole spectacle of it is just it's, it's 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 I mean, it's unlike anything I've ever seen. It's just, I think it's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen because of this combination of this beauty and suffering mm. and, you know, the, 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 the pain and the, 
but God is present and it just takes you into another realm of reality that I'd never been to before that was very edgy, mm. very scary. Razor's edge. Razor's edge, exactly. And it's not, you know, in some way it's not unique. The idea of uh, suffering to gain spiritual connection is goes across many religions, certainly. You know, I know there's uh, cathedrals that, there's, you know, there's a thousand steps and you walk on your knees all thousand steps to get to the cathedral mm-hmm. or you walk you know, so many miles. I mean, even in Catholic church, like you, you spend a lot of time in mass, you're, you're kneeling on a hard bench. Mm. It's not pleasant. And there's mm. a reason for that. So this idea of, uh, suffering, uh, as a way to connect to God is it's, it's very common, but the Lakota take it to another level. <laughs> <laughs> They, you know, they go all the way. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you are drawn to that. I guess I am. I'm, mm-hmm. I don't know why. I'm, it's not that I'm not afraid of it. I am. But I don't think I can say no to it. Mm. I just, I don't think, I mean, it, it, you know, there has to be the invitation, obviously. Like I'm not, I'm not pursuing it. You know, I want to feel and I, I have, well, one, you know, you have to get a, a vision, but also like, you know, I want to let, uh, my teachers make the decision for me. Your teachers? Yeah. Yoshi or Eric, the you know, my, the people who are, I mean, they're not actually my, you know, literal elders, but well, they are, which is not an age, but to, to let them make the decision. The decision to what? To dance. Oh, to dance. Uh Uh-huh. Right. I guess I also just mean that you're you're just you're called to this 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 red road. Right. Mm-hmm. And um you know, there's something really like you you said to Yoshi that you weren't sure if you were a yes to this. But it sounds like you've become a full yes to this now. Yeah, well that happened. That's what happened on this last vision quest. Mm. That, that wasn't my vision, but yeah, I, when I was done, I was like, I'm in, mm. I want this, I want, I'm, you know, cause I, the, the vision quest was tough, but you know, I handled it. It was, mm-hmm. I came down, I did my work. I, I stayed present for it. I didn't, I didn't check out. I mean, you can, you can get up there and just lay down and go to sleep and kind of disassociate from the experience, but I, I didn't do that. Mm. I did that a little bit on my first one cause I was overwhelmed, but in mm-hmm. this one, I, I stayed in the experience, and when I came down, I felt my eyes were clear. I was present, mm-hmm. and I got good feedback from the elders who were there. They saw it, and mm-hmm. uh, the invitation was—I could feel the invitation to go further. Like I could feel the 
the welcome. Mm. So that feels good. Mm-hmm. And and the community community that I'm in, I don't feel any pressure. Mm. I don't feel any manipulation or demand, which mm-hmm. also feels good because that that can exist. Mm-hmm. You know the the Lakota community is like any other community. There's all kinds of characters <laughs> with different motivations, and you know some are. Uh, they're all well-meaning, but you know, some you resonate with, some you don't. Let's say, mm-hmm. just you know, so. But I think I found a group of people that I really resonate with, and I don't, I don't feel any pressure. Mm. To, to be a certain kind of way or that I have to do this or I have to go forward. They're, you know, they're just accepting me as I am. And, mm. and so that also feels good. That, that feels like an invitation as well mm-hmm. that I can remain sovereign, mm. which is important to me. That reminds me of, um, you know, I'm listening to the audio book tribe. Mm-hmm. I think you Sebastian were the one Unger, who- yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, you recommended that to me and I, I, I'm, I'm not going to get this totally right. So I don't know if you're going to, I hope you can help me with this, but do you remember there was a story about this woman who, um, she was, uh, she was not native. She was white and, but she had been accepted into the native community. This was like, like in, you know, when in pilgrim times, you know? Yeah. And and so um, the the white people were trying to call her back. And and she was like, well, why would I come back? I'm, I'm free to be however I am. Like, I don't, I can marry if I want to marry. I don't have to. I, I can, you know, like, I, I just, like, she was free to, to, you know, do whatever she wanted and act however she wanted. I mean, she had to. She had to be of service in some way, but just in ways that felt good for her. And she was like, why would I come back to this place? You know, so th- there's something similar to what you're saying that reminds me of, of that. And that in, the, in that particular way, she had found her tribe. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you found your tribe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a common thing that happened throughout America where uh, people would defect. <laughs> White people would defect and go join the Indians or people were kidnapped by the Indians, like in Texas. Quanta uh, Parker's mother, what was her name? Cynthia Parker was uh, kidnapped as a young girl. Obviously she was a young girl at the time, but she didn't want to come back. And that was a common thing when they finally... Um, you know, caught up with them or, or they, you know, they had some negotiation and they said, you know, give us back your prisoners. Uh, a lot of people didn't want to come back. And it wasn't something like Stockholm syndrome or. I'm sure that was part of it, you know, particularly with the Comanche cause they're pretty hardcore, but, um, but no, there were, there were defectors and, uh, and there was also a lot of people like Kit Carson who were, uh, you know, I mean, he had his own issues. I don't know his whole story, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that, that, that 
learned a lot from the Native Americans and, and took on those lessons and, and, and lived in that way, even if they didn't join their tribes, you know. But yeah, it was very common, or I don't know if it's very common, it was not uncommon for white people to go join the Native Americans and, and want to stay. And I, I think that the point that Sebastian Unger is making is, is the, the power of, of tribal life mm. and the, the egalitarianism of it and that it's somehow it's, it's how we're meant to live. Mm. I mean, that's the point of the book. And, you know, cause his experience was, you know, if you're reading it, I mean, you know, um, you know, he was a war correspondent. He was in Afghanistan, and he was stationed with uh, different platoons and for long periods of time. And, you know, Restrepo, I think, is the movie he made about it, and he's written about it extensively, or Restrepo, I think it's called. But um, he was struck by the, the bonds of these men, you know, who were at war and being shot at, and, and people were being, you know, killed and injured and obviously it's a, it's a terrifying environment to live in but he didn't see that they had any PTSD there people seemed to be okay they seemed to be able to manage their emotions and and keep moving forward in the face of these horrific tragedies and and constantly being in a state of anxiety and fear about the enemy attacking and you know and then they'd go home and that's when the PTSD would come on you know, and he speculated that it's because when they were in war, they lived a tribal life. Mm. They were together. They slept together. They ate together. They bonded. And they were happy. Mm. They were having a good time. And when they went home to their house in a neighborhood, separate, and not feeling connected, not feeling understood that's when the PTSD would come on. That's, that's when all the, the stuff would come up. Mm. And so, and I think that makes sense in terms of what we know and the work that we do is if you bring people into connection with other people, that's how they heal. You heal in groups and community is the thing. It's the most, as far as I can tell, you know, from my experience, it's the most important thing. Is, is any one person that we work with in a workshop going to go all the way through and heal themselves perfectly? No. You haven't. I haven't. And we, you know, we've been doing this for a long time. We still have our stuff. We're still working through it. But when you're in the community and you feel connected and you feel like there's a shared purpose, that's, that's where we find happiness. That's where we find contentment. That's where we find ease, you know, in, in, in shared purpose and, and connection. So I think mm. that's for me what that, that book is about and, and trying to say like, we've lost that in America mm-hmm. and we need I mean, to get back to that. That's what you are doing, you know, because you've been, I mean, you know, maybe you were in a community like with the, the, acting community in LA and then you left that community and you were alone for a long time Mm -hmm. and now it feels to me like you're you're 
finding a community that resonates more with who you are, who you really are. Um, yeah, and that this is something that you've, you know, really worked hard, like, to, to um, find. Mm-hmm. Well, I went through a bout of extreme loneliness from the time I was in my late 30s to early 40s. And I didn't really realize what was going on until I read an article about the loneliness epidemic. Mm. And there was some, and they defined it in a way like separate from depression because I didn't feel necessarily depressed, but there was something happening and an, a kind of alienation, an existential alienation. And when I read this article, it just it resonated with me. And I thought, oh, I'm, I'm feeling deeply, deeply alone. Mm-hmm. And, and I realized, you know, how I isolate myself. I was, you know, I isolate myself a lot. I did then. And I thought, oh, that's a problem, you know, for my mental health. I really realized, like, oh, if I'm isolated, it's not, it's not good for my mental health. And we know that. So I thought I have to make a commitment to being in community. That's the way out of this. I have to find and be in community and just, just you know, and, and, and treated myself like somebody with a condition, <laughs> you know, that needed a remedy. And, you know, it's like an alcoholic, like you don't go into a bar. Just don't do it, or at least, you know, for the first couple of years of your recovery. Don't tempt yourself. And so it was was a similar idea for me. It's like you have to get into community. Mm. You know, maybe the analogy is like for alcoholics, like you have to go to meetings. Like that's that's what it is. Is AA, is it, is it, does the program actually work? Maybe. Yeah, sure. But it's probably the community, Mm. right? The shared stories that you have a place Mm -hmm. to go where you feel connected to other people. That's probably the tether that keeps people sane while they're getting Mm -hmm. sober. And so when I got back to LA, when I moved back to LA in end of 2015, and I started going to ayahuasca ceremonies, you know, there was a community that I found. And then I just committed to them. And I kept committing to different communities. And and then I found Yoshi and committed to that community and sweat lodge and I just made it a priority. It's like I have to live in community, even though people are very annoying. And I hate being around people sometimes. <laughs> the alternative is worse. <laughs> so, you know, deal with it. Like de- mm-hmm. deal with all the annoyances that come with being in community. The, you know, the people you don't like and the pettiness and all the nonsense. And, and I found a way to feel sovereign. I think that's one of the reasons I avoided community because I always felt like uh, I was obligated to show up in a way that was uh, that that there was a demand placed on me and I had an expectation placed on me to, to show up in a certain kind of way. And I didn't like that. And I finally learned to have boundaries and I just showed up how I wanted to show up. Mm. And I, you know, I, I, I I make sure that I contribute and I am friendly and do all the things, 
but I, I didn't let the demands of the community, uh, uh, dictate my behavior, which, you know, mm-hmm. creates its own issues. But over time, you're just, you're just that guy. Mm-hmm. You, the guy who's essentially doing what he wants, how he wants, but he's doing lots of stuff that you can't just kick him out because he's, mm-hmm. he's working hard. He's showing up, he's present, he's kind. So it's hard to, you know, kick out that person if they're not mm-hmm. I guess, conforming in the way that that is expected of them. Mm-hmm. So I figured that out, and once I figured out that I could show up how I wanted to show up and do that in, in a good way, then then it set me free. And so now, yeah, that's when I came to Austin. That became the priority. It was like I have to find community, mm-hmm. I have to get in community right away, and I did, and it's grounded me, and I feel safe. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter what's going on. I got my Wednesday night sweat, and and those are my boys. And now, you know, and according, I did a vision quest with them. So I'm mm-hmm. like, that deepens the connection and the supporters came out. So we're, we're bonded in a way. And I, I feel like these guys are all my brothers now. And so I know they're there for me and I, I will be there for them. And that's a good mm-hmm. feeling. Brothers and sisters, I should say, because there's a lot of amazing women that are in our community. Wow, thank you for sharing all of that. You're welcome. Dave. You know, that was, yeah, it was, I, I feel really grateful. And um, yeah, it, it makes me think about my own connection and you know, it's like there, there's some way in which I, I wish that I felt called to something like that, you know, in the way that you have. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting because I think, and I, I don't know if this is true or not. I mean, maybe I do. I actually had a, um, I was gifted this Vedic astrology reading recently he said some really interesting things but one of the things um that i felt was maybe um uh, it was maybe the hardest thing to hear which is so interesting he you know he 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 was very it felt like my reading was you know you're you're this gifted person you know, and, and the, the different ways he was trying to express that, which felt so good, you know. And, and then the, the crux of that, you know, I guess, I guess my, the invitation for the red road, the razor's edge for me, mm-hmm. what he said was, if you want to access all these, this chart, your chart, tells me this is a person that needs to meditate, and I was like, damn you, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because I've had such a, I don't know, like a, I'm not a full yes to meditation. It's like a back and forth and, okay, I'll try this and then I'll try that. And, and, and what he said was that, that I, I needed to find the, the technique for myself. And, you, you know, he said, you, 
it's like you have to go meditation shopping. Mm. And he gave me some suggestions of things, you know. So now I'm reading the 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 autobiography of a yogi. Have you read that? I haven't. I have it. I've been meaning to read it, but it's been sitting there for a couple of years. Yeah. So, you know, he said, if if that calls to you, then, you know, that's a path, the Kriya Yoga path, Mm -hmm. you know. And, um, you know, there's lots of different paths to, you know, there's, there's the red road. And I don't know. Um, I, I, I don't feel like I've been called to anything. Um, consistently or, you know, in that way that feels like, oh yeah, I have to go this way. I will say that another astrologer, I don't know, some reader I had years ago told me that Qigong was going to be something that would be important for me to learn and to study. And, and then this guy said something similar. He said, I don't, I'm not saying, um, I, I, like he, I think he was trying to not be racist, you know, and he was like, you know, I don't, I'm not saying it in that way, but there is a correlation to, um, uh, I forget how he said it. I don't want to, he said it in a way that was like, you have to, um, there, there's some, some correlation between your, your genetics and, and where you go spiritually, mm-hmm. you know? That makes sense. And so, yeah, it, the way that he said it made sense to me too, but I think I've resisted it, mm. you know? It's like, well, just because I'm Chinese doesn't mean that I have to learn Qigong, you know? And so, but he, he mentioned it again. And so I took that like, okay, maybe there's something for me to, to, to learn. I don't even really know what it is. I remember that in my very first ayahuasca ceremony, um, I was with uh, Val and Dr. John. Mm-hmm. And um, so Dr. John was, was leading and you know, it was my very first experience. So I was, you know, I like it was an intense, wild ride for me. But at one point, he got, is it okay for me to talk about this? I don't yeah. Know. Okay. Um, he, he called me over to the, the there's a, there's a mat, right? The healing uh, mat. The healing mat that's in the middle of the floor. Um, that anybody can go to at any point if they need some healing. And, you know, people will gather around and whoever's called will give that person the healing. Well, in that moment, Dr. John got on the healing mat face down and he'd called me over to do Qigong on his back. <laughs> and I was like, I'm, I'm like, sorry. You're fucking I... racist. I don't know Qigong. What, you think <laughs> right. I'm Chinese? I know Qigong. <laughs> Fuck you. White man. So, but I, I was like, I'm sorry, I, I don't, I don't know any qigong. And he was like, qigong. And I, like, I just put my hand, like, I was like, I don't know, like, I just put my hands on his back. I don't know what I'm doing, but my hands started to, to move, and they mm. started to, it was like there was energy coming through my 
my body through my hands. And I was doing these things to his back that I, I just, I just let it happen. You know, I didn't know what I was doing. It was like, okay, I'm following this energy, you know, and then, and then it was done. And then I was like, okay. And he got up, he stood up and he clapped his hands and he was like, Qigong. With the accent? Qigong. (laughs) He can get away with it. So that's literally my only experience with Qigong. <laughs> wow. But, but, you know, is that, I, is Qigong, like Qigong is, is, it's a series of movements, right? Yeah. I've seen my grandparents do it, I think. Yeah. It's, a, it's that, I guess that's why, you know, I, I, when I was a kid, I would watch them do this thing. It was like this very slow movement. I didn't know what they were doing. It looked weird to me. I, you know, I, I didn't want any of my friends to see this. Well, there's Qigong and there's Tai Chi, right? Oh, maybe that's right. Exactly. I see, think the I slow don't... movement is Tai Chi and the, 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 the Asian, the old Asian people do in the park. Uh-huh. The fact yeah. that you are saying this to me right now is ironic. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, Qigong is, uh, it's a different set of movements. It's, I think it's the same principle, but it's, it's, I think I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say, I don't know, but it seems to me Tai Chi is, is, is really a, a practice of physical meditation, right? right? You're moving yeah. slowly and, and it's all, it's also about like, uh, aligning your energy. I think they're both about aligning your energy. Mm-hmm. Right. And they, yeah. they, they do it in different ways, but I mean, I've done some, I haven't done any Tai Chi, but I've, I've done some Qigong. Oh, you have? Yeah. And, uh, well, Miguel was into Qigong. For a what while. is it? It's just different exercises and movements. That's like you know, um, that uh, yeah, like I said, they cultivate your energy and uh, move the energy in your body and align your mm-hmm. chakras and um, it's breath attached to it. It's 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 like a yoga, but it's not it's it's not the yoga. It's not yoga. I'm sure there's people listening out there going, this guy, what the fuck? That's not what it is. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I should stop talking. I don't know what it is. I've done it a few times. Somebody led me through it. I'm sure it's just the basics. But the funny thing is, Tete sent me a video of his ex-roommate, Tom, who is a Qigong master, literally, some kind of master. He's a martial arts master all across the board. And he just, he's like, you got to see this Qigong video that he put out it's amazing he's like the best qigong teacher and he explains it perfectly and so i have this video that i'm wanting to watch because i also feel a call towards qigong oh mm-hmm. oh interesting yeah well you know so i, I mean what i feel i guess most strongly is a longing to have longer connection with, um, you know, that, that that what you described coming back from vision quest that you, you experienced God in a, a kind of way that, um, has remained with you, you know, that you go in and out, but you're more anchored in that place. And that's what I'm, I'm wanting for myself as well. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm looking at different 
or I'm trying different things, you know, different methods and, and that kind of thing. But I have a feeling, my, my sense is like you, that there, that there's, there's something that I, something, just choose one thing, choose the thing and then go down that road and, and follow it all the way through. And, and, you know, like you'll have this, this deeper connection, but yeah, I think I've been resistant to that. And why? Hmm. What's the resistance? I mean, you know, like I said, the like the resistance to something like qigong or tai chi or, you know, any of the Chinese ways. Um I don't know. I think I have like a some kind of bias against it Mm. Um, that yeah like I I don't want to have to do this thing just because I'm Chinese Um, I'm Chinese American you know and that there's it's like I want to be free to explore all whatever I want to explore whatever I'm interested in exploring Um, so there's there's just that what but if you start it, doing qigong and then talking in a in a Chinese accent? I could see that happening. What? <laughs> I've said to you all the time, you got to go full Chinese. I'm not going to start talking in a Chinese accent. <laughs> I think that'd be good. I'm just saying. Okay. Anyway. Just very slight, very slight Chinese accent. I think very it'd be good slight for your, I think it'd be good for your brand. Well, you, you know, you know, you might start doing qigong, and it, it starts to come back. I don't know. It starts to what? The the accent starts to. I don't I'm think it's kidding. the accent, but maybe I start talking in Chinese. Maybe I start, you know, channeling some Chinese ancestors. Um, How is your Chinese? It's it's I you know I understand. I can under I I can't I, I couldn't have a political discussion with you, but. Mandarin. Um, yeah, Mandarin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, so I, I guess the thing that, the thing that I, I guess I, I resist, um, maybe I'm resisting something that's actually going to be what really takes me into that God place. Yeah. What is the resistance to the Chinese-ness of it? Like, do you have, are you at odds with your Chinese-ness in some way? I mean, I can imagine you know, Mm -hmm. being a the child of immigrants and did anyone else look like you at your school in Columbus, uh, Ohio? I mean, I think there were literally, there was Alan Lee, Christine Chen and me and my sister. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what I remember in high school, you know, in a school of, I think it was like 1500, 2000. Right. And I, I think, I think you've said this before that in some way you probably, you know, kids want to fit in. Mm-hmm. So in some unconscious way, you know, you 
move away from your culture of origin to integrate into the, the culture that you're living in. And maybe in that process, there's some party that disassociates or rejects some aspect of yourself. Mm-hmm. Is that? Yeah. 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 No, definitely. I, yeah, I, I've, I've definitely had that. Um, and I think I, you know, I, I didn't want, because I got made fun of, not that often, you know, not like, not like my male counterparts, you know, like my friends who were guys, you know, they, I mean, that were Chinese or Asian, they really got made fun of, you know, it was a thing, but it was enough for me to have one experience on the bus, you know, and to be made fun of for being Asian or to being looking different where I was like, Oh, I don't, I don't even know what you're talking about, but okay. Like, I, like I'm not, I'm not going to, uh, orient myself to that, you know, like I'm not going to, uh, expose my Chineseness, you know, right. You know, it's like, like I'm gonna, I mean, I imagine that that experience happened when I was maybe five years old or something, you know? So I, I probably at that point just was like, okay, I'm going to fit in. I'm going to do what I, what I need to do. It's just survival, you know? And I grew up at that point, I was living in a very rural part of Ohio, Lancaster, Mm. And, you know, it's all white people. I, I, there was one black girl in the church that I went to, the Church of Christ. <laughs> and we would sit in the pews, uh, just like arm in arm, you know, around each, other, each other's shoulders. That, that's what I remember. Who, but you and the every, black girl or everybody? Uh-huh. No, just me and the black girl. Really? Mm-hmm. Like you guys knew you were different? Like- I don't know. I don't remember that. I just remember she was my friend. Wow. And I, and she was my friend and Jesus was my best friend. <laughs> Jesus was your best friend and still is, I hope. And still is. Yeah. I love Jesus. <laughs> so, you know, like I, yeah, I, but I, I, I learned, uh, there was something that I learned about, you know, um, whiteness the american part of me needing to to come out more Mm. you know and i was already you know like i was a good girl i was quiet um you know got good grades like all of that Mm -hmm. so you know i i I had to try to figure out how i could fit in um you know, we had to go to Chinese school on Saturday. Like, you know, there were certain things that we had to do. I had to make the rice at home. I had to, you know, like there, like I remember these things that it was like, my other friends didn't have to do that. Right. You know, I wasn't allowed to do a lot of things that they were allowed to do. It was, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the thing that made me stood out, stand out, uh, was singing mm. and uh, being, you know, like the the lead in a musical. 
and you know in these parts that were not traditionally written for an Asian kid to play you know and so that's amazing that's how I you know that's that's what I, I I just learned to do that so yeah I think that there was there is some way in which I've rejected um my the, the my Chinese heritage. Um, can I can I just ask you a question? Yeah. When when you were performing in these musicals in high school, cast in in roles that were not uh, traditionally, you know, a Chinese person, what, were you aware of being Chinese and and the impact that that would have on? the role and how you would be perceived and did you hold that in your mind as in how you played the character or, or understood the story? No. You just did your thing. I mean, when I, so when I was a senior in high school, I was cast as Audrey in Little Shop of Horrors, right? She's the blonde from New York she has an accent you know Mm -hmm. it was like like I did you wear a wig I wore a wig you know (laughs) wow yeah the whole thing and I was just her you know that's that it was like like I didn't you know I had like I had a crush on the the lead guy you know like it was that's that's just what it was you just did for me I just did it and and then when I went to college, um, even though I was majoring in finance, you know, because I thought like that's that's you know what I was going to be doing, um, I I couldn't resist going to the audition when it said West Side Story, you know, audition happening. So I went, and then you know I booked the role of Maria, and I didn't I wasn't thinking I'm Chinese, like why would they cast me I was thinking man I want this I'm gonna I'm gonna get this Mm -hmm. like I'm you know like I I I could feel like I I I could do the part I looked the part like I could you know Mm -hmm. that's that's what was coming through me obviously Mm -hmm. because they did cast me and it wasn't until years later when um I was living with uh, a woman who I went to college with and she was I think two or three years older than I was. And she told me her experience. She was a black woman. Um, and she, she told me her experience of seeing me cast in that role and how it was like a thing amongst the theater community. You know, there was a big deal that they had cast me in this role. And I, had, I didn't know that at all, you know. Right. I was just... I was just in it, you know, so. Which is probably um, the best way to actually approach it, to not think about it and just the audience will have their own relationship to the character and based on their mm-hmm. own projections and that that aspect of it takes on a life of its own. Because having a, a Chinese woman play Maria, that's it does something to it like you're chinese like you and and you can't not see that like you can't mm-hmm. and so it's and it works it totally works but it it's something else and it it mm-hmm. must 
at least unconsciously, uh, it changes something in a good way. It's, it's, Mm. it's really interesting. I can see why they cast you because it's, it's instantly interesting Mm. and it, in some way it turns it on its head and, uh, yeah, I like, I like that kind of casting, Hmm. but it's, I, yeah, it does make sense that you would, yeah, to, for you not to be aware of it, to not take that on, to just dissolve into the role and do it. And the audience Mm -hmm. will, and the story will, you know, it'll it'll all take on a life of its own. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Are there aspects of your Chinese-ness that you have not reclaimed or you're still disowned from? I mean, yes, I'm sure there are. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what I'm aware of consciously right now um, is just this, you know, um, we've been talking about Qigong and Tai Chi and this connection to my uh, spiritual nature. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I, I feel more open to it than I ever have before. I feel uh, maybe even a calling, something. Mm. Um I think it actually started when uh, right near the beginning of the pandemic, um, I wanted to call my dad. And I had never, I I very rarely called my dad. I usually call my mom. And then my dad gets on the phone or, you know, they're both on the phone like that. And so I decided I was just going to call my dad. And when I did, you know, we had this conversation um, that was so, you know, it was just between him and me, like talking about uh, the Tao Te Ching, you know, the the Tao. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, I asked him what book he was reading or if what he was, you know, he gets into certain things like certain politics or he'll watch um, the news and he'll just go down a rabbit hole, you know? And so I was asking him what he was, he was int- into right now. And he said, Oh, I'm, I'm reading the Tao Te Ching again. And I said, Oh, again. And he said, yeah, I, I read it when I was a kid and now I'm reading it again. And I said, Oh, well, what are you, what are you learning? And he said, well, you know, I, I mean, it's, I'm not sure that you would really understand, you know, you're, you're more Western and, and this is more Eastern. And I said, oh, well, and, he, and then he said, well, you know, the Tao, if, if it can be explained, then it isn't, if it, the way cannot be explained. And if it can be explained, then it is not the way. And I was like, oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, but still try me anyway. <laughs> and so then he starts talking about the Tao. My dad, I'd never had a conversation like this with him. And it did something to me. Like I felt a connection with my dad 
I was like, oh, my dad is connected in some way. Mm. You know, like I, I think I've always felt it, but I've never really known it like, like that. Like, you know, the way that he was talking, I, I could feel his depth, mm. you know? And I was like, oh, this is where we can connect. Like he and I, you know, they're, they're, I, yeah, it just, it just felt really, um, I mean, you know, my therapist explained it like you had your dad, like in that moment you had him. Mm. And I was like, yeah, that's what it felt like. Mm. Like we had, I had this connection that I, I haven't felt in my adult years, you know, um, I felt it when I was a kid, but I lost it. And then like, this was the first time that I really felt it again in that way. And something about that conversation opened me up to, okay, maybe I want to look more into the Tao Te Ching, you know, Tao Te Ching. <laughs> um, and then hearing this Vedic astrologer say something about Qigong, you know, I thought, okay, you know, so- something's happening here. Like I keep getting the message, something it's like, like, just, just go listen, learn, mm-hmm. just see if you're interested, you know, might be, maybe you won't be, but it's kind of like, you know, y- how you are, you know, you get invited into something and, and then you go and it's like, wait, I don't know if I want to keep going. Mm-hmm. And then you get invited to something else and it's like, okay, you know, I guess that's that's where I'm that's where I'm at right now and I have a feeling that um being open to this. I mean even if I decided not to go but just to open myself to it will open me up to more of my connection to being Chinese. Mm. Um that part of myself and the power of it and the the goodness and um the beauty, uh, you know, not just maybe some of the biases or m- maybe internal racism that I have towards mm-hmm. Chinese. Um, it's, you know, it's deep for me to, to, to consider it in that way. I was... Uh, I was talking to uh, Richard Kwan again, mm-hmm. and I asked him again. You know, he was he was, you know, in this certain state, and I I just asked him if he if there were any other messages that he had for my ancestors, and he said, "Yeah, your ancestors want you to know they really love you," <laughs> and I was like, "Wow," you know really? And he said, yeah, they really love you. And I don't know if I described this before, um, but he had, he'd, he'd explained to me like the way that ancestors love, you know, it's like how grandparents can love their grandkids. Kids. They're, they're able to show their love much more easily than um, they are. They, a lot of a lot of times, you know, to their own kids mm-hmm. because there's not all this stuff in the way, mm-hmm. you know. And so, um, 
he said, just imagine with, you know, your great, great grandparents or your, you know, like your, your ancestors from centuries ago, like the way that they love you, there's nothing in the way, you know? And it was like, just hearing that and, and then hearing, you know, how much my ancestors love me, like to feel, I, I, I felt something like I felt like if I really took that in, what that could give to me, mm. you know, it's like, especially right now when, um, you know, I'm not necessarily feeling the love from my parents or right. my family. And so to, to experience that, to feel like I have the love of my ancestors. Um, what could it give to you? Well, it, it, it opens me up, you know, to actually, you know, that part of myself, like the, the Chinese part of myself, Mm. um, like to, you know, I I have this feeling like maybe that will help me understand my parents, you know, more, um, that will help me, uh, learn to love them in a different way and, um, and to just accept, accept them. So it feels to me like that, that's, you know, it's like, like the, to feel that kind of love from, from my ancestors and then to, you know, like have a deeper understanding of my, my own family feels like a, like it could be a gift mm. like that, that going into something like the, the old ways of the Chinese, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, what my dad is studying, you know, like he, he believes in this stuff, you know, and it's, it's important to him. It's like the ways that they were taught, you know, it's like, I, if I can learn what those are and I, and maybe ha- have some respect for those ways mm-hmm. that have, you know, g- brought me to where I am in some way, you know, I mean, like we've, we've survived, you know, um, like I'm here. Yeah. Presumably on the backs of my ancestors you know, and everything that they've gone through. And so, yeah, to, to learn more deeply about their ways, their spiritual, like where that comes from, it could be very powerful for me. Feels like there's a lot of people returning to God. I know we've been talking about that a lot, but I see that on Twitter and Instagram people going back mm-hmm. to church rediscovering their roots or or mm-hmm. exploring different ways to connect to their spirituality or to connect to god it, it just seems to be a theme i think so i mean i have clients who are at, you know they'll say like hey i want to um talk about more about my spiritual connection with you next week you mm-hmm. know kind of it's like yeah mm-hmm. There's nothing more I'd love to talk to you about. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it is, it's something's happening. Well, it, it seems like America's 
and maybe all of the West is, you know, we've been lost in materialism and identity and ego and and it's a story as old as time you know greek tragedy shakespearean tragedy if if you become focused on these material things and identity and status eventually you will fall you know mm-hmm. hubris and it, it feels like that's what's happening and i, I you know i i've been caught up in it and it's hard to let go of because that is the currency money and status and power is the currency of the culture and it's valued and it's championed and it's everywhere and to let go of all that and to make your primary orientation towards god is is not an easy thing to do but more and more people are are doing it or or moving in that direction and it just feels like it's the uh, the cure for the disease mm. that uh, America's been uh, crippled with, and well, and I would say all of the West, and it's uh, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful thing to see. It's surprising. I, I never thought I'd be here. You know, I said it over and over again. I, I, it's shocking to me to say that. You know, my, the, the primary thing that I'm trying to achieve in my life is to deepen my relationship with God. But it's true. And it's, uh, and understanding that, that these ancient ways, our ancestors, uh, you know, they knew things. There's nothing new. <laughs> you know, even, even in this technological age, we're still human beings and we're still, you know, uh, subject to spiritual law and that's never going to go away and uh it's important to be humble to that that's that's what i'm understanding like Mm -hmm. even people are going back to the bible and reading the bible and seeing all the wisdom that exists there yeah and that there i've noticed there's many many more translations you know different Mm -hmm. kinds of translations of of the Bible and um, being like updated, you know, mm-hmm. so that I mean, it feels like a way to um, really take in the, the the real meaning of what the Bible has to say. Right. I think people are alienated. I mean, there's all these people not going back to work or not or quitting their jobs because they feel they'd rather be poor than work in this system, which makes them feel alienated mm. or disconnected from anything. They're just a cog in the machine. It doesn't feel good to people. So something's, something's happening. And uh, it's scary because some old system is coming, <laughs> crumbling down in real time. And, uh, it's not going down without a fight. And those, you know, I've said this before, like I, I you know, I've said it in a, a kind of a harsh judgmental way before, but there is a godlessness to it. I mean, we've lost God. I really think, I really think like we've, we've, you're going to worship something. Mm. You're going to worship money. You're going to worship status. You're going to worship power. You're going to worship sex. You're going to worship something. And, 
you know, be careful what you worship mm. and how you worship that thing. Mm-hmm. It's all there. It's all there in the ancient texts and thousands and thousands of years of wisdom. It all says the same thing in different ways. I think that's how it seems to me, you know, Matakiasin, all are related is really the same principle of Eastern philosophy is everything is one thing that I think that's my understanding of the Tao in some way, mm-hmm. at least. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Christianity, God is in everything. It's really the same thing. It's the same principle, the, the oneness and feeling that, feeling connected to that source and feel that we are an aspect of it, a part of it, and we're all an expression of it. It's, it's, it's soothing. Mm. And when we're not mm-hmm. connected to that, that's where we feel alienated, mm-hmm. separate, alone. And it negates this need to be special. I want to be special. I want to stand out, you know, which is fine. It's not, well, but special is, it's funny because, you know, my mom told me growing up, you're special, you're special, you're special. And it sounds good to a kid. You want to be, who doesn't want to be special? But I remember (laughs) looking up special in the dictionary I was just curious one day, and the I think the first word was separate. Wow. Yeah. I was like, special, separate. I'm like, uh, yeah, special's not good. Unique is great. Special? Mm. And there's a lot of that going around. I wasn't the only kid that was told they were special. And mm-hmm. I understand the impulse, but probably the parents own ego needing their child to be special mm-hmm. so that they could feel special but there's a reckoning happening it seems to me and it's happened to me and it's humbling mm-hmm. and I'm glad I I came to it I mean life you know forced it on me in some way because I was not happy and I was chasing something, trying to make up for something. And uh, it was really just, I mean, really a, an addiction, a bottomless pit of despair. It was the only place it was going to lead me. And it feels good to be anchored in something deeper than that. Mm. Like I have faith. My faith is strong it's not perfect i you know i I lose faith from time to time i I can feel the despair the resentment but less and less somehow Mm -hmm. i also gave up coffee i think that has something to do with it wow yeah i'm way better when i'm not drinking coffee (laughs) and uh i know you know I'm, i'm i'm sensitive to caffeine but obviously I didn't drink coffee on the vision quest. And then I just came out of it. I haven't started it. So it's only been like 10 days, but I feel so much better. Although I miss it. I love coffee, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I, I also, don't you wonder 
what that's doing to the culture? Coffee? Yeah. Like I do people are obsessed that. with coffee. Like people I have it in their fucking bio. Hi, I'm Jeannie. Um, you know, lover. I'm a therapist and I love coffee. You're like, you love coffee? Okay. Like that's that's your identity as a coffee lover. I mean, Gilmore Girls, it's a whole thing around coffee. Mm. Obsessed with coffee. And uh, coffee's, a, you know, it's caffeine's a drug. It does something to us. It's got to be, I mean, people are like, I wonder what this epidemic of anxiety is in our culture. It's like, I don't know, maybe three cups of coffee a fucking day that you're drinking. I don't know. I can't. Goes right through me. It's it's. Uh, what do you mean? Feels, like I can't. I I did drink coffee in my twenties. Um, I I think I drank it for a year to keep myself awake in my job. Um, and then I I don't know. I think I started getting headaches or something. My my system just was not doing well with it. So I stopped, and I had a headache for two weeks. And then after that, I never went back because I was like, mm. I'm not going through that again. That that was terrible. But, you know, I like I like the smell of coffee. Mm. I, I like the, you know, what it just feels like people have. There, there's a little tribe, you know, amongst coffee drinkers. And and I don't know, it just there's something to it that feels I actually it was so interesting. I was at the grocery store the other day and I I was looking at all the co- like there were these cold coffee drinks and I was tempted, even mm-hmm. though I knew I was like, this is not going to be good for me. Right. I didn't get it, but I, it was, it's, yeah, there's something about it. It's everywhere. It's like, what, what is it that people are get? Like, what, it, what do you experience when you're drinking coffee? Like, is it, is it a high? Is it? It's like, a high. It makes you feel good. Uh, mm. I mean, I don't know. It, it does something to you chemically. I think it does give you a, a serotonin boost. Right. It, I know what it does. It doesn't actually make you more awake. It, I guess it prohibits the, the, the part of the brain that tells you you're tired or whatever the hormones oh. or neurons or something. I don't know. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, I mean, it's good. You know, people say it's good, you know, before a workout or something like that. Like it's, and, and you know, mm. coffee, I don't know if it's good for you. It's bad. Who the fuck knows? You don't trust any of these studies. Right, yeah, Where totally. they're coming from. I mean, I'm sure Starbucks is finding all the ones that say, coffee is good for you. We just did this study. And people love coffee, so of course they're going to mm-hmm. come to that conclusion. I don't know, but I would like to stay off coffee. I feel better. I miss it. I hate it. I hate not drinking it in the morning. It's a loss every time. I'm disappointed. I'm like, this isn't fair. You got you to gotta go, you gotta go over to the hot water side. Hot water. <laughs> No, I'm 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 drinking guayusa tea. Mm, Warmy guayusa tea. Warmy guayusa tea. Sponsors this podcast. Go get your warmy guayusa. Guayusa. Let me say it again. Guayusa tea. Warmy. Warmy. W a w a r m i. That's Mm. Diana's and her family's tea company. Wow. Guayusa is great. It's Where a, can I get this tea? Well, you can get it online. Go online and order it. Warmy? Warmy. Mm, okay. Guayusa. Just say it. it's fun to say guayusa. 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 What, what, kind of, what kind of tea is it? It's some Amazonian tea. They get it in Ecuador. And it's, uh, I don't know, I should have been more prepared, but it's, uh, <laughs> they don't officially sponsor this podcast, but you should go just get some 
wormy guayusa tea. And uh, but it has caffeine, but it doesn't uh, make you jittery. Mm. So it's uh, it gives you that more a much more subtle caffeine boost. And uh, I, I actually haven't really been drinking it that much in the morning because I've been trying to not actually not drink caffeine, but I had a little bit before this podcast because I was feeling tired. And uh, it has all kinds of good stuff in it for you, antioxidants. And I mean, Diane is mm. listening right now and it's like mad at me because I'm not saying it all right. But just go buy some. It's awesome. Uh, it really uh, we'll, is. We'll give you another chance next Yeah, week. yeah. I'll get but, it yeah. all right. I'm going right. to sell some tea for her. Yeah. Oh, I th- I just think you just got to say the word guayusa over and over guayusa. again. Just got to put it in people's head. Guayusa, guayusa, because it's fun oh, to say. Right. Until they're yeah, just like guayusa. guayusa. Mm-hmm. And it, it sounds like ayahuasca. Right. And so that, you know, and a lot of people guayusa. do drink it like uh, uh, before Val had it out. Mm-hmm. Had guayusa I remember. Tea I have out. had some. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. Uh-huh. And so... Uh, and uh, so a lot was of people that the kind warmy. She didn't have warmy. She had some oh, okay. other bullshit brand that was it's horrible. It's <laughs> terrible. Don't get that other brand. I think they actually that other brand went under. Oh okay. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I think coffee. I I really do. It makes you, it makes me nervous and agitated. I'm sure that separates me from. It separates from me from myself in some way. Mm. I'm less grounded. And if I'm less grounded, I'm less connected to God. Coffee mm. is the work of Satan, people. Give up your coffee. Coffee separates you from God. It is the wow. Work. Yeah, I'm sure that's true. Starbucks is, I mean, it's something. Is there something in their logo that secretly reveals it's satanic? I don't know. We'll look into that. I'm sure there's a video on YouTube saying just that. That's what I'm going with, though. I like uh, that. I would say there's, you know, there's a shadow and light in everything. Jesus, you know, it's, you're it's, always it's so like, reasonable. Exactly. Like ayahuasca, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I need sure to convince myself. there are coffee myself. drinkers who have gone, who have who found God through coffee. No, no, no false prophet i mean just think about the like the the cacao ceremonies you know i need to tell myself that it's the work of satan so that it keeps me off coffee so that's what i'm going with coffee (laughs) equals satan yeah yeah that's how i'm gonna resist it tomorrow morning do you want to drink satan no okay and just make some guayusa and you'll be okay oh Angela, anything else? We've been talking for two hours. No, what? Really? Okay. Six thirty. Well, yeah. yeah, almost. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm done. Thank you. You, you feel complete? I do. You do. Yeah. Um. Okay. That's enough. Okay. 